0: I said, Tony, when you graduate from uh, Dallas, I'm coming to your graduation.
1: Once again, here's Dr. Evans' professor from his Carver days, Dr. John McNeil.
0: And when you graduate with your PhD, I'm going to be able to call you Dr. Evans. Once and then from going to be Tony. Well, oh, no, he made it clear. He would only call me, Doctor. That was one time. <laughs> one time. So don't get the big head, you, you know, all that, and a bag of chips, you know. So I'm Tony to him, yeah. Tony um, to him. I think I he love did it. it. He called me one time and that was it. And when he got ready to graduate from Dallas, what is the PhD? He said, uh, I'm getting my PhD. I said, well, I'll be out there. And oh, well, we went out there, my wife and I went, went out there to graduation and
2: looked at him and said, You made it.
1: All right, friends, a whole bunch of things happened seemingly all at once for Tony Evans. In 1982, Tony became Dr. Tony Evans, the first African-American to earn a doctoral degree from Dallas Theological Seminary. The Urban Alternative had been started the year before, and we haven't even talked about the radio ministry. He'd already been chaplain of the brand new NBA franchise, the Dallas Mavericks, for two years. And by now, he was also subbing in as a chaplain for a small football club maybe nobody's ever even heard of, the Dallas Cowboys. He was now eyeball deep in his church plant, Oak Cliff Bible Fellowship. And by this time, Anthony and Jonathan had arrived, bringing the Evans family total to six, with four kids under the age of 10. But don't worry guys, we're going to get to it all. Welcome to Start to Finish, the life and ministry of Dr. Tony Evans. Episode five, The Family Man.
3: Those were the years when, man, I I have an inkling of that because I remember how busy it was when my three boys were all little.
1: This is Dr. Evans' second child, Priscilla Shire.
3: I mean, it's it's a full-time job. It's absolute chaos. Right. So I can only imagine... The four of us being small, while you're founding and trying to build a church, right. structure, you know, the elder board, the, you know, all the things you have to structure to make a church healthy and mm-hmm. successful from its roots. Um, and, and then my mom supporting this man who's got vision, who's, you know, firing off on all cylinders all mm-hmm. the time, who is a little ADD. I don't know if anybody's <laughs> told you that, but a, li- a little ADD, like yeah. he's on one thing, then he's on the next thing and he's ready to <laughs> do the next thing. And, and you've got a woman who's supporting that. while at the same time trying to provide as much stability as she Mm -hmm. can for this growing family. Mm -hmm. That would have been a lot of work.
1: When do you sleep, Dr. Evans? Well,
0: in seminary, seminary, I developed this habit of sleeplessness. Okay. And so—
1: What's an average need for you?
0: Four and a half hours. And And you
1: said that that kind of was cultivated and developed in seminary days, you say?
0: Yeah, because you, 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 you burn the midnight oil a lot in seminary, so,
1: right.
0: and I just developed that pattern.
1: Do you, do you remember struggling with that as you first started to develop that pattern?
0: Uh, I, I flew into it pretty easily because I enjoyed what I was doing. One of my earliest memories, and I, I don't have
4: this in a photograph, but I have the kitchen in a photograph so I can see it clearly in my
1: mind's eye. Here's Crystal Evans Hurst. Dr. Evans' oldest child
4: is coming out in the middle of the night, and I had to have been maybe three, four years old, and he's at the kitchen's table studying. I'm telling me to go back to bed, and I came back out, and he told me to go back to bed, and came back out, and he just said, well, just sit here, and sitting on his lap while he had all the books on the table open, studying.
5: Most people don't realize they have an expectation of my dad based on what, him preaching Mm -hmm. but that's not his personality his personality is an introvert
1: this is jonathan evans the youngest we have to
6: like (laughs) warn people that he's not like because you hear him and he's this dynamic like so they think that they're about to get this intense
1: and this is his older brother anthony evans number three no yeah
6: he'll he'll really be in his thoughts like it's a beautiful mind kind of vibes yeah people don't know how to tell you know what i mean he'll be in a car going from the airport to an event and somebody thinks they're about to have a moment with Tony Evans and he won't, he just doesn't talk or he'll be staring out the window. And we're like, (laughs) you need somebody with you at all times to explain this to people. People don't get it. You know what I
5: mean? Like at all times. He prefers to be by himself with a book, with a pen in his mouth and a pad. That's what he prefers to do. So all of our life, he's sitting on that seat in the couch, on the left side of the couch. If you're facing the couch, it's the the right side.
4: I'm sitting at the kitchen table boring Saturdays westerns him curled up on the couch where he still is today with that yellow pad and the pen that he puts in his mouth and bites the head off every single time
5: his spot on the sofa he sits on there he leans he's got a pen in his mouth he's got his pad he's got his the TV on watching football westerns Would depend on time frame time period kids leaning up on him trying to you know snuggle in and he'll let us snuggle in and he'll still read his book right So he's got people all over him. He's
6: turning through through books. books. Like, what what I now realize is, like, you're speed reading that book, and I didn't realize that. And he's retaining it. It's very—I mean, it's not normal. I'm just telling you, I don't (laughs) feel like—now that I'm an adult and see normal human beings, I'm like, this is (laughs) abnormal. You know, I'm, I'm 21, maybe, or I was touring with Kirk Franklin, and I was like, okay, I have enough to get my dad a nice Christmas present. You know, Whatever. And I'm like, he always has a pen in the legal pad. So I'm going to get him a Mont Blanc pen and put his name on it. Maybe he'll like pass it down to me one day when I start, to, you know, just I have this, all the yeah. emo kid stuff that Absolutely. that emo kid would do. Yeah. Man, I walked in and he was chewing the Mont Blanc pen the same way he chewed the <laughs> Bic pens. But it sounded like chewing ice because it's this hard yeah. pen. And I was yeah. like, I'm never doing that again. Yeah. And I was like, dad, you can't chew that pen. And he's like, it's just a pen. You know, that whole, he's just creature of habit yeah. yes i yeah. could i could put these notes in the computer but no, no. they're going to be legal pads from the floor to the ceiling all over your universe right <laughs> with my notes <laughs> that only i understand
1: can we talk a little bit about growing up in the evans home hmm. obviously as a preacher's kid i know that there can be some challenges to that there's also a lot of blessings to that
4: you know I it's so hard I mean you know you talk to all four of us you're going to get of course different takes on that every kid is different and all that but for me when I think back on home the memories that I have the most are going to be the things we did consistently um sitting at the table for dinner um and I'm sure he was not there more than what I remember but I remember him being there
5: you know, every night we were around the table, and that was the most important thing about, I think, about us growing up, is that my dad and mom would never forsake the dinner table for a leading table. Hmm. So there's no, you know, we didn't have a lot of electronics then, but the one electronic we did have in the middle of the den, that TV, was going off. All the lights were off, spotlight on the kitchen table. Wow. And all the focus was there. But he would use then. he would always say, you know, a Jewish father wouldn't use the table just for eating. They'd use it for leading. Hmm.
3: The table was really the hub of our family. It's where, you know, a majority of the conversations that we would have and the foolery that would happen in our family would happen around the table. It's where we got in trouble. It's where we were trained about, you know, elbows off the table, you know, all that stuff. I remember family talent
4: shows and fun and dancing and made-up games at the kitchen table. Who stole the cookie from the cookie jar?
5: I remember Monopoly. Games, board games, You know, he would ask us questions about our life. You know, he started digging into who my sisters were dating, which I always thought was was fun when I was the youngest. It's where
3: we had deep conversations. Mm -hmm. And it's where my dad mostly decided that he would share devotions with four kids who didn't want to listen. I mean, he wasn't in full Tony Evans regalia when he was having (laughs) devotions with the four of us. It was just a dad. Yeah trying to make four kids maybe listen to one little simple verse and 60 seconds of thought around that verse. And I think sometimes people see us now as adults and they have this idealistic view of maybe what that was like. And, oh, no, it wasn't that. Jonathan was crawling underneath the table. (laughs) Anthony was, like, twiddling around with his fingers. You know, it's
6: just chaos. My brother's under the table. And, you know, just my brother's the goofiest one of us all. Just kind of... He and, and my parents were tired when they had him. So <laughs> so he got away with a lot of stuff. My dad actually, because he's so f- like funny antagonistic, my mom would kind of sometimes want the moments to be serious, more serious, but he would kind of be joking with us and then they'd catch eyes and then he'd all of a sudden straighten up. We were like, ha ha, she got you. You're like, you know what I mean? Like yeah. it's that 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 kind of thing. Just chaos with intention
5: though. And then he'd end with pulling out the word having us all read a verse. We
6: pull out this little box, a red box of Bible verse cards, and we pass them around, and everybody would say their verse and, you know, try to be able to
5: focus. Tell me what you think it means. Mm -hmm. Then the great philosopher would say, Ant, now let me tell you what it really means, you know. And so we had fun with that. And he just really led us there. And uh, you'll hear all of us say that table is where we really got rooted in God's Word. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord and who walks in his ways. You shall eat the fruit of your hands. You will be happy and it will go well with you. Your wife shall be like a fruitful vine in your home, your children like olive plants around your table. Thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. May you be blessed from Zion. May you see prosperity in Jerusalem. Indeed, may you look out and see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel. Hmm. That is the passage he had us memorized at the table when I was six years old. He said, this is why we do everything that we do. If you memorize it and you do it, then you'll get be able to see all the blessings that God gives to a to a man or a woman who fears the Lord.
3: I think that they did the best they could with what they knew. Yeah. And I think God honored their faithfulness to that and their consistency. I think that's the the two biggest lessons I think I learned from my parents about what it means to parent well and build a healthy family are integrity. Mm-hmm. And consistency. That's good. So integrity, meaning we didn't see different parents at church, and then they acted in an entirely different way at home. Mm -hmm. And then consistency. They weren't perfect parents. They just picked the things they were going to do in terms of building tradition for our family or the Mm -hmm. habits that they wanted for our home. Mm -hmm. And then they did those things over and over and over again. Mm -hmm. So the simple task of making a meal and putting the meal on the table and making everybody sit down at that doggone dinner table yeah. with our attitudes and all because we don't like this chicken and we don't yeah. like green beans and you know yeah. all the stuff your kids <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> go through about what they do and don't want to do yeah. I, I, I know for a fact that would have been so frustrating for my mom mm-hmm. having cooked a meal and then somebody mm-hmm. doesn't like it mm-hmm. um, but she kept making the dinner and she they kept making us sit around that table and now one of the prize mm. Um, you know, memories of our childhood that yeah. we now forge ahead with with our own children mm, yeah. is making sure we sit around that dinner table as right. regularly as possible so that we can have build, you know, a family culture around the table. It's just because my parents were consistent.
4: I remember asking him for my 16th birthday if I could have a party where we could dance because all the kids had dancing parties. <laughs> and he said no, and I was devastated. <laughs> but what I do also remember is that he had uh, he had um, skin in the game because to this day anybody that I went to high school with will say that was the best party in high school they went to. Wow. We played relay races running around the house. All the things you still should be doing yeah. at 16 yeah. that you don't want to acknowledge is fun at 16. He made sure it happened at 16. So he gave me the principle that I talk about now a lot, which is giving you a no in the spirit of a yes. So if there was if there was a no, it was because he either clearly explained or illustrated the greater yes.
3: Something I do remember about my dad as well is he was very much interested in trying to figure out the why hmm. behind our behavior. Hmm. And I always remember my father redirecting Um, the discipline into a conversation about how maybe the Lord could use that in our lives. Mm -hmm. Um, For example, I was always getting in trouble for talking can't imagine why that is but <laughs> I was always in trouble for talking out of turn with the wrong tone. I mean that was the main thing at school that I was always in trouble for right. and I remember my father talking to me about communication like we'd have conversations even though I had to it needed to be honed and he would be clear about that. He would say, you know I wonder if communication has something to do with what the Lord has for you. Mm-hmm. So if you surrender that to him, I just wonder if it's possible. That that's actually, it's not a bad thing, Priscilla. It's just, it's got to be molded. And then maybe God can use this for his glory. Maybe it's the whole reason you were created.
4: I mean, in the fifth grade, I, um, you know, try to figure out who I am. I'm on the playground. There's this bully rough around the edges. And I just know that one day I'd had enough of it. And uh, whatever she said to me, I cussed back at her. I just felt so empowered. And then I felt so afraid, (laughs) because we went to a Christian school and that was gonna be 10 demerits. (laughs) (laughs) And the the fear in my heart, knowing that 10 demerits meant my parents were gonna get a phone call. And I came to the door, the back step, in the same house that they live in now. And he was waiting for me at the back step. He opened the back door, he opened the screen door, and he stood there in the doorway and he just looked at me and he shook his head and he said, I don't understand. Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't understand. There, there was no, you know, anger. There was there was no, you're gonna get it. There was no, um, you know, you wait until I get a hold of you or how could you embarrass us? Right. It was, I don't understand.
1: At the age of 19, Crystal came home and gave her mother news that would devastate any pastor and possibly destroy their ministry. Out of wedlock, she was pregnant.
0: You know, I remember when Lois told me I was coming home from a speaking engagement at Wycliffe Bible Translators, which is located here. And um, she told me what had happened with Crystal but one of the first things he
4: asked me, and he leaned forward, he put his forearms on his knees, he brought his hands together, folded them, pointed his fingers, and touched his chin.
0: He looked so tired. And he said, what did we do wrong? We wanted to love her through it, but we also wanted to deal with the what was behind it. And so the first person we knew we would tell was Hawkins, because of his relationship to me and us, hmm. And so a few days later, I told him, and that's when she came in. The first thing he did was get up and hug her, which is his way of doing things, and just minister to us as a family and to her. Even now, I think, when I look
4: back on the fact that my dad took me to sit with Martin Hawkins, now that I look back on it, I'm like, what was that about? You know, like, <laughs> And it probably was just, he was his friend.
1: Yep. I need to
4: talk to my daughter, can you help me talk to my daughter?" As a single person, um, single parent person, um, one particular job I had, I had to get there early. And my daughter, my oldest daughter, who's now 31, was going to school at at that time, Fellowship Christian Academy. And on Wednesday nights, Dad would pick her up, take her home. She spent the night with them on Wednesday nights. And I that was my one night off.
0: That also meant on Thursday mornings, he took her to school. And, of course, Karis is like the fifth child. I'd take her for donuts and take her to school. Wednesday night church. She'd come to Wednesday night church and it'd spend the night, and I'd take her for donuts. Yeah, she's the fifth child because her and Lois were like this. They were like this. I mean, they were like this and because we helped raise her. But
4: when I had that job, every morning I would arrive at their house at around 6, And I'd bring Karis inside the house and she would get in the bed with them, dressed for school, in her uniform, in the middle. (laughs) And my mother, while she was fixing breakfast for everybody else who was still at home, she would fix breakfast for that daughter. So they brought Karis in as child number five. She doesn't like it when we tell people that they have four kids, because she considers herself to be child number five. Mm -hmm. But they supported in that very real way in Mm -hmm. that season. Mm -hmm. My dad would take her for donuts. It's kind of cool is he takes his great grandchildren now for donuts.
5: My mom is the one who gave me uh my confidence, believe it or not. Mm. My confidence, I had a lack of confidence in being in ministry because I didn't want to do anything my dad did. Okay, it's like Michael Jordan's son playing for the Bulls. It's not a good idea. Right. Right? So right. I'm running from ministry, wow. and um, and I would always talk about, man, I can't, you know, I'm not trying to do that. What do I look like trying to get on stage right. and do anything that he does? And, right. And she would just say, I remember one time she said, what size shoe do you wear? And I said, uh, I wear 13. She said, what size shoe does your dad wear? He said, I said, 10 and a half. She said, see, if you try to put on his shoes, it will crush you. But if wow. you wear your own, you'll be able to walk. Wow. That's so good. And so the subtle, caring motivator yeah who would always tell me because I was the one who struggled in school mm-hmm. and she was like she would just no, no, you just don't you struggle because of how smart you are in a different way. I mean she <laughs> She'd always just be and and those things were the things that gave me confidence. Yeah, in my powerful. Yeah. Right. And Absolutely. so while I would hear my dad preach from the stage and lead us at the table, my mom would sit with me. My mom was also the one who led me to Christ.
1: Okay.
5: Yeah, so when I was six years old, you know, she was the one standing there and I kinda of talked about you know, wanting to give my life to Christ. And she was the one who led me to Christ. So it's the quiet, still moments in the back. Mm -hmm. You know, I tell people all the time, if you heard the ministry of Tony Evans, it's because you have the fingerprint of Lois Evans. That's good. She's the fingerprint of the ministry, the fingerprint of the family, the Mm -hmm. fingerprint of my confidence, the fingerprint Mm -hmm. of my uh, faithfulness comes from what she does that people don't hear a whole lot about.
1: We'll be right back.
7: My friend Richard is not like other people. He's a man with terminal cancer who decided to plant a church. They initially told me two years and
4: I was terrified, I still am. But our circumstance doesn't change
7: our calling. From Send Network, this is Terminal, the dying church planter. Coming soon to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Let's talk about Oak Cliff and uh, growing up with this fast-growing church.
3: We were involved in children's choir or just participating in different church activities um, or when mom would open up the home to people at the church. Well, we would, we would welcome them in all together. We would make sure that the kids that were coming, we were ready for those kids so yeah. we could play with them yeah. and engage them yeah. there in our home. So I see now the strategy that my parents had about making us feel included. And I also see the intentionality that they had in making sure we knew, in fact, my mother would say this, you are not the church's kid.
4: Hmm. You're our kid. Hmm.
3: You do not have to make sure that everybody at church is satisfied with your behavior, is satisfied with the way you're dressed, is satisfied and pleased with the way you've behaved and acted in a certain scenario. You only answer to the Lord and, and us. That's it.
6: there was weight put on me, they always, in, with anybody's words or actions, they would immediately be an intentional, intentional at taking it off. And that was, uh, especially my mom, because she could see my soft heart and was like, "That's not gonna be. That's not gonna translate as funny to him, or he's really gonna internalize this. Like he's gonna go to his room and think about what you just said about him being a preacher, just like his dad." Yeah. So she would immediately be like, "Hey, you know, you don't have to be, you know." And my dad would mess around. Like uh, he, I remember <laughs> sometimes she had to do it as related to my dad. <laughs> like he'd be, whole, I can picture it in my head right now being." on my dad's lap at eight and nine years old and he's like okay so you're gonna go to seminary right and from the kitchen I'd hear Tony like that (laughs) like just don't do it don't even start his mind thinking
3: there was even one occasion where there was a Sunday school teacher that kept calling on me to answer everything she just assumed I should know the answer (laughs) and um, I remember um, that my mom had a conversation with that teacher and told her to stop Do not single Priscilla out as the person that should know everything. She's just a kid like everybody else. Let her be a kid. So my mom was real careful Mm. about making sure we constantly remembered that even though she was aware and we were aware that we were in a fishbowl, it's the reality of being the pastor's family, that we were not required to answer to the pressure that everyone else might put on us
6: that's like my family to myself and right. that kind of that kind of whole thing and i was the middle child or four of us i was you know third so yeah. it's kind of that middle child yeah and a peacemaker so i had tons of issues with being a ministry kid that nobody knew about <laughs> i <laughs> first of all my parents were building something so it's it's just when you're, whenever you're building anything there's yeah. just a lot of attention that has to be paid to it but when you're building a church uh Church and ministry sometimes is like the boundaries are just blurry, yeah. especially when it's a new church and, and, and at that point a smaller church where there's a lot of familiarity and, and right. all that stuff. So I always felt like I was sharing my parents with people, and I'd be thinking as a kid, like, go talk to your own parents. Like, that's in, in my immature, like, yeah. in that immature mind. I'm like, yeah. why are you knocking on yeah, our door? Like, yeah. it's 7 p.m. Like, stop. <laughs> why are you here? And I, and I, that's and my I, dad. Yeah, yeah. literally. Yeah. I, I would I would be like, I, I had this mindset of you can find another pastor. I can't find another dad. Right. And I would treat everybody like that. Like mm. anybody who I felt was like crossing a boundary. Mm. So I had more and what's crazy about everything I'm saying right now is my parents didn't know because I didn't say anything. And mm. I didn't know how to communicate it.
5: From a family standpoint, they used the building of the church to humble the kids. Mm -hmm. Uh, So we weren't weren't the type that would be like, well, my dad's the pastor, I can just do whatever I want. No, he had a serving at the bottom. So I remember being between 10 and 13 years old, um, between 10 and 12, employed me without uh, uh, paying me, obviously. Right. And he said, hey man, you get out there and roll this carpet out. Uh, for church. You get out there and sweep these floors, make sure uh, the bathroom has what it needs in it. You're in. Yeah, you're in. You're, you're serving. You're not here sitting yeah. and just, you know, enjoying and sitting around here getting stuff. No, you're you're serving. And so my first job when I actually was paid with the church was in the janitorial building operations staff. Okay. And so just cleaning after service, going and vacuuming between the seats with the vacuum packs, Uh, on my back and um, taking out the trash. In fact, I think
4: even now, it's harder because he is such a person of integrity and he so wants to make sure that his kids don't get a pass, Mm. that we probably um, have to work a little harder to be supportive because we don't have. um, I mean, I said, Dad, can I have a key card to the church? He was like, well, why do you need one? I was like, because you asked me to come early in the morning and late at night to do stuff. It's like, Yeah, I have a key card? Well, I don't know. I, you'll have to talk to the head of security. I'm like, really? Like, you can't just pick up the phone and call
1: I love that.
4: We probably get more red tape because of his desire to make sure that we go through proper channels.
1: Mm-hmm. So did you get a key card access to, you know, offices in the buildings of Oak Cliff? Because Crystal said... You know she had to go through the security team dad would just not let her get some sort of exception because she's the preacher's kid
3: yes i will you have, have stories you know, like that i will have you know that i am currently today as we are talking 48 years old right and i have just gotten my card this week <laughs> this just very week. this week exactly
5: but I also enjoyed when it was the anniversary, and they brought the family on the stage, and then the, the congregation would give us gifts. We were kids, you know. <laughs> They'd give us—I got new skates. I remember online <laughs> skates and stuff like that.
1: Yeah, there are uh, a lot
5: of perks too. Yeah, they're perks too, but we never got big-headed about it. Yeah. And because my dad is humble. My dad is real humble. He doesn't even notice a lot of things that are going on around him. Mm. We have to tell him, like, did you notice that you got this? There's an award coming. He just, he didn't, he's just like, let me, just give me the word. Let me preach. Yeah. You know, that's his thing. My story is I come in, we're in the Family Life Center, um, which is our second building. Uh, And I'm... Feeling sick, so I stay in my dad's office, and I got a blanket. I'm laying down on the couch in his office. Got a pillow under my head, and I just decide I don't want to be in here by myself. Mm-hmm. I think I'm gonna go out to church. So I get up. I'm probably 10, 11, something like that. I take my blanket and my pillow, and my little entitlement that I had. I I came from the front door while he's preaching. He's up on stage preaching. I come through the front door and drag my pillow and my blanket across the stage to my seat during his sermon. Okay? So I'm just dragging a pillow. And now, I mean, I look back, we probably had 800 members. Like it wasn't 800 to 1,000 people sitting there during his sermon. I'm just dragging a pillow and a a blanket across the room. (laughs) I sit down. I put the pillow behind me like I'm about to go to sleep on a plane. I lean back in my chair. I cover up with my blanket. <laughs> and I looked up, and my dad had fire in his eyes yeah. going, oh, my goodness. <laughs> I mean, if a black man could turn red, yeah. he was red. He had smoke coming out of his ears. And my mom rubbing his shoulder and saying, Tony, it's just one of those things. And I was kind of away, but I could hear her. she's calming him down. It's just one of those things, man. The kid brings a blanket in while you're... Before you're preaching, she kind of had him start to giggle. he yeah, yeah. And then he looks across and he says, holds up his finger. Yeah. One, one time. time.
1: <laughs> so that was it. We'll be right back. Discover a full collection of resources inspired by the life and teachings of Dr. Tony Evans at lifeway.com, including books, Bible studies, and commentaries. Explore God's Word in a fresh way with the Tony Evans Study Bible. With notes and commentary he personally crafted and curated to inspire and empower you to live out the values of the kingdom of God. For a limited time, get 25% off one regular price product on LifeWay.com with promo code EVANS25. That's L-I-F-E-W-A-Y.com. Promo code EVANS25. Expires October 31st. Now for most people, their introduction to Dr. Evans was through a sermon a friend shared something from YouTube, or you heard him on a podcast. Believe it or not, Dr. Evans started preaching and having his sermons recorded before the internet. Before the internet, there was one place to go if you wanted to be heard, and that was radio. For that, we've got to back this truck up all the way to the early 70s.
0: While I'm at seminary, two things happen. I get a call from KCBI. The programming director of KCBI contacts me, which is the Christian radio station in Dallas. And he says, would you like to do a Sunday program of music and the word, a live Sunday program? So I accepted that and I began to do this live Sunday program once a week for radio. This is three to five in the afternoon, something like that. Then I get a call from KHCB in Houston. KHCB, I don't know whether I preached in Houston, I don't know what it was but somehow they knew of me and asked me would I do a 30 minute weekly program to be played over the station taped so I am now in the Dallas Seminary studio preaching a 30 minute sermon that was shipped to KHCB Houston for uh, their um, uh, weekly radio broadcast so now unbeknownst to me I'm entering radio right. in an incipient form, but I'm I'm entering radio uh lightly, not not still not connecting my time with in Philadelphia, which was about radio with the Grand Old Gospel Fellowship and right. all that. So now radio is happening.
1: Can you talk a little bit, just reminding um the listeners, myself even, the significance of radio at that time? For, for, for everybody. For
0: everybody. Apart from your local church, Christian Radio was the go-to place for programming. Right. And Christian Radio, for teaching, were, was virtually always white only. Oliver B. Greens, you know, Bible study hour.
7: Bless the dear people in the Gospel Hour congregation who are hungry and thirsty for righteousness.
0: It was that. It was John R. Rice.
7: I say, it is not hard to get saved. I mean, it isn't
5: hard if you're sick and tired of sin. I mean, it's not hard if you're ready for God. To...
1: In Dallas, W.A. Criswell, was he... I think if you don't believe the Bible, you ought to quit the ministry. Well, yes, Chriswell yeah. too, right. in terms of Dallas. So
0: right. I'm doing two things. I'm doing the Sunday program here in Dallas. I'm doing the weekly program in Houston. A few other stations... Find out about this weekly program. So I'm on this weekly program now in a number of few stations. Okay. Sam Hart had encouraged me related to radio because that was his forte. Uh, we had been going in the summers to work with the Graduate Gospel Fellowship before he started the church. And so as more people heard the teaching or the preaching, we began to see that there could be an opportunity. To go further with the messaging, that gave birth in 1981 to Tony Evans Ministries, which later would become the Urban Alternative. And it was started with Lois and me simply making cassette tapes available to people who wanted, based on the few stations we were on.
5: Yeah, so I always say I was the inspiration for the Urban Alternative because it started around when I was born, 1980, (laughs) 1981. Right, is where they kicked off. Here's Jonathan Evans again. And so they had me and thought, you know, we need to do more. (laughs) You know, so so it was all me. But my, you know, they were recording, starting to record his messages. You know, you had the cassette tapes. Uh, My mom was in the garage, had my sisters in there working with her, getting the recordings into bags, and people would make orders. Um, and they would, um, you know, send in letters and send in their address and do it the old school way. And my mom would lug tapes to the post office and just, I mean, individually just mail them off, you know, from, for, for, for wherever they were going. Right. And, uh, so we called it the, the sweat factory because ain't <laughs> you no know, air conditioning in the garage. My mom's just in there. Yeah. putting in all these tapes and my dad's writing more messages, writing more messages. And so it started like that where most businesses start, you know, you kind of just are in your house and something's working out. right? Right. People are requesting more of, of Tony Evans, not just locally. Right. And so that happened. And then my mom is the business savvy, uh, managerial administrative person. So she's thinking, well, we need to turn this into a nonprofit. You know, we need to go ahead and, Take donations so that we can continue to advance, Mm -hmm. get on radio, you know, people had to help us do that. Um, and so as as that continued to expand, um, then we started, you know, taking our family vacations and Mm -hmm. people would run up to our dad and say, Hey, I listen to you on the radio. I I buy all your tapes and we're thinking, you know, man. How this happened? Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. How this happened. So You know, he and he used that to teach us. You know, because we'd start getting annoyed. Like, right. You know, all these people, we can't go anywhere, and you know, everybody, you know, either thinks, you know, you're Tony Evans or at some point Steve Harvey. You yeah. know, one of the two. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? That mustache, right? So, um, so it, it's one of those things. But he said, you know, if you go to the doctor and the doctor is who God uses to perform surgery and you get healed, you can't be mad when people come up to him and say, "Man, thanks for heal, thanks for the healing." Right. So, and, and I said, but they, they are they're appreciative. That he knew how to use his tools, yeah, and I, we were like, "Oh okay, all right,, mm-hmm. so it's an honor, right, when people come up and you and you look at him and, man, the Lord healed him, and he used he let me use the tools that he gave me, right, and so and so we started appreciating, yeah, you know that people appreciated that, and so he always used that to teach, but we we noticed that it was getting out when we got out, we know it was working, you know whatever he was doing was working, mm-hmm. and then you know those cassette tapes turned you dvds and you know cds and then now it's just qr codes and digital and you know podcasts and all that kind of stuff absolutely now it's huge but it's just the faithfulness of my mom building from the garage and seeing where god was leading this ministry and the the receptivity from the world and even at that time receptivity from everyone from a black preacher Yep, because at that time he couldn't get on radio because he was denied radio right And then because of important people who came in and said, "Mm, you can't do that, that's not biblical. Plus, he's like, do you hear this? Yeah, Everybody needs to hear this. And so the fight was on. He gets on radio. And once he gets on radio, um, I heard a black pastor say once, we had a booth at some conference. And he said, look at that. That's Tony Evans. That's the pastor that can preach to black folks and to white folks. (laughs) You know what I mean? And I'm young and I'm thinking, huh, you know, yeah. there's some people who fought for us to get on radio. Yeah. And uh, it, you realize that the word cuts through all of that. And it brought, you know, two worlds together. And we still see that.
0: The Urban Alternative is 81. Between the two is these few radio stations. Right. weekly programming. Right. So then we begin to now make the tapes available. And she's packing up tapes and taking them to the post office and mailing them. So she's like the administrative person to do this. And I'm just trying to rehearse all of this. So this is plodding along, growing. But then we're introduced to NRB, the National Religious Broadcasters. We're told about it. We go there. Talk about the ministry that's becoming TUA, right. Urban Alternative. We pass out samples. There's very few, very little black programming, from programming from an African-American, very little. A few stations, we don't have money, we can't buy time, but a few stations pick it up on a weekly basis. Until 1986, when I'm asked to speak at the NRB
1: let's rewind because we, okay. we skipped over a lot of stuff yeah, and right. I want to I want to hear some of those things where you guys are are doing your own cassette tapes and you're going to NRB and like can we talk about how did you get introduced first of all to uh, NRB okay. and then those early days of going maybe to the conference and you're not being asked to speak like right. how, how did you go from from attending the conference to becoming one of the, the general session speakers?
0: Well, we got introduced to National Religious Broadcasters through Sam Hart, who was a member and a board
1: member okay.
0: of the National Religious Broadcasters.
8: My father had, even through the 80s and in the 90s, had a lot of stature with um, NRB. Here's Tony Hart, the son of B. Sam Hart again. This was involved from the early days in um in seeing that develop. And uh, bringing other black ministers into that into that organization. And so, um, Tony Evans, as he, you know, started his, you know ministry, um, he was able to bring him in and introduce him to NRB. And that's how Tony and Lois got involved in that whole effort.
0: Just was a small contention of African Americans there at that time. Um, And he would introduce us to people and and expose us to people. And so he was instrumental in those early days. And out of that, somebody recommended that I speak at a general session, which took place in 86. There was a tension because there's just a couple of people on radio at that time, African-Americans. Sam Hart's one of those few. Certain amount of stations and only weekly.
2: Hmm.
0: Okay. But in terms of a daily broadcast, that was a different ballgame. (laughs) You have this internal battle between the hesitancy of putting a black speaker on regularly, on radio, meaning a daily broadcast. What will the donors say?
2: Mm.
0: At the same time, there was the recognition that there was an inequity here on this issue. So many stations would give reasons not to do it, or, well, we'll do your weekly on the weekend. Mm. But we wanted to get to the daily, because that's where you really build your constituency. So we had trouble getting to the daily, except one place, Moody. Moody was the first network to give us a daily program, because Moody is located in an urban center They have a black constituency. They just never had a daily programming. But the president of Moody, along with his assistant, who became our friend at NRB, Jim Gwynn, opened up the door for Moody. But the other doors were very hesitant.
1: Do you remember any of those stories of hesitancy or rejection? just,
0: Just either no time, no space, donor questions... I mean, they would typically be nice about it, but you knew it was a challenge for them.
1: Right.
0: Uh, Because because they were stepping in. This was new territory. A weekend thing is not a new territory. A daily thing, every day, that's a new territory, especially when the style, the music, some of the things were different. But all the time now through NRB, we're learning. We're learning how to do it, learning how to—how you— produce how you replicate the equipment you need Mm -hmm. so lois is learning a lot of that we're learning a lot of that as we go along
1: so with the journey you know taking some time of faithfulness and and hustle and take me back to that moment where you got to speak at the general session and how did you prepare how did were you given a, a a topic to speak on or did you have freedom the the, the, the knowing that this could be a moment. Um, could, could you take me back to that?
0: Yeah, the invitation to speak, I knew, would have probably been the biggest invitation in terms of scope that I would have ever had. Because at NRB, it was the place to go for media in a whole of America, for learning, training, and relationships and opportunity. So I knew it was major. And so I spoke from the book of Daniel, I believe. And challenged the NRB to, in some way, to have to make an impact, and it was well received. I think it was a standing ovation at the end. And so there was a warming toward me in, as from a platform standpoint, I've met many people, but from a platform standpoint, it was a, it was definitely a, a, a warming, and so it opened up the opportunity for people to think differently.
7: What God is looking for is that planet Earth will have a constituency of heavenly beings living on hellish soil, letting hell know what heaven looks like when heaven decides to deposit that constituency in its midst. Now, the question is, do we have a biblical basis for such a philosophy? And I say yes. In fact, a whole book of the Bible was written to argue this. It was the book of Daniel.
1: Dr. Evans, your message um, at the the general session is by far one of my favorite messages. I've Come up heard from last preach. year? No, from the NRB, that that opening session. Um, when? From the one we've been talking about. You, the were 86. There? you were there? No, no, no. It's it's online. Oh. <laughs> was, it Daniel? Uh, Daniel. It was, was it Daniel? Daniel. It was Daniel. I didn't know it was online. I didn't know it
8: Oh yeah, no. I, in fact, I was there, you know, when he when he spoke um, the, that first time, and um, and of course he, you know, he brought the house down, and uh, so there was no denying that he made a huge impact, and um, and I think that um, there were also um, a few contacts that uh, that were made. Um, through the NRB that really catapulted Tony's ministry.
0: I speak at a general session at the NRB, and now there's a potential buzz about right. the programming. Along this time, we're trying to learn how to do this radio thing. Right. So we go to Insights for Living, Chuck Swindoll, and we go to Focus on the Family. Lois and I go to Focus on the Family, and Jim Dobson meets with us. Jim Dobson takes us out for lunch, expresses his concern for the black family. We share what we are doing and how we are doing it. Our burden for ministry, some of the vision we have in radio. And at that luncheon, he says, I want to help. He opens up all the systems of focus to us. And I believe it was providing a half million dollars to help launch and expand TUA. But that's not the biggest thing he did. The biggest thing he did was write a letter. He wrote a letter because, again, most of the white stations were hesitant, although there was now this new opening. He writes a letter to all the stations that carry him and say, would you consider creating an opportunity in your broadcast schedule for Tony Evans and his ministry? That changed everything. Dobson's letter opened the door. Me being coming to the convention with Sam Hart under his influence Gave me exposure. Being a being a, a a graduate of Dallas Seminary gave legitimacy. So all of those kind of worked together. So when um, when I got a chance to speak, then there was a response to the message with all these other supports surrounding it. Right. They even asked me to be on the board.
1: Okay. Of, okay. In uh, RB. And so immediately now, this starts to open things up for the ministry to, to grow and influence and impact really around the world.
0: Absolutely, uh, it began to expand. So now TUA is having to grow, right, to uh, facilitate this at another level and getting a lot more expertise, a lot more professional advice.
1: We can't end the conversation about the Urban Alternative without talking about the influence of Lois Evans. If Tony is the face of TUA, then Lois is the muscle. Like everything else, they built it together. We were able to talk with the Director of Operations for the Urban Alternative, Joy Glover, who gave us a candid peek behind the curtain.
2: Well, I'll start with their relationship with one another. They were so cute. Um, <laughs> uh, one thing that always made me laugh, just in meetings or anything, you know, Dr. Evans, he, he couldn't, if he would look at Mrs. Evans, he would start laughing, just, you know, or he would smile. There was always just, you know, they had a, a nonverbal communication, of course, that you can get after being married, you know, 30, 40, you know, years, uh, so I always laughed and watched um, their nonverbal communications, um, which was always, you know, (laughs) she would always let Dr. Evans know. So, you know, there's a focus, there's the kingdom agenda, you know, and and how we're implementing um, that um, across the spheres, you know, and how, you know, how are we getting that message out? So he's looking at that. And then Mrs. Evans was the, person right next to him looking around, watching and kind of coloring how he implemented that vision in a sense. Um, meaning like, for instance, you know, if he, he would come and say, well, you know, how can we do this? i like to do this, you know? And then she would come in and say, you know, well, let's think about these people, you know, or how, what's, you know, how, how would they feel from this? You know, so she always added in an additional layer. Um, and then other times she would uh, very diplomatically <laughs> uh, play devil's advocate. So she was really gifted at, you know, with, if something's put on the table or, or there's a vision, you know, um, and never to thwart his vision, but to help him to see possible challenges or pitfalls uh she would kind of lay those out you know and she would always very carefully say you know i'm not say, not to say to not do it but you know let's think through some challenges and obstacles and so she was really good at thinking through the challenges and obstacles or bringing them up so that even as a team um and then her other uh strength of course was uh just process and organization. And so, you know, everything that you see um, from the Urban Alternative and how we operate, these processes are things that she's put in place that, you know, I still use to this day. And so that's kind of how with an interaction, I guess, to answer your original question of of how that vision kind of interacted, you know, Lord's giving it to Dr. Evans. He's uh, uh, He's sharing it. She's taking it through a filter of how to execute it. Then she lays it out, um, to the team. Um, and then she allows the team to come up with our own strategies, um, on how to execute it. And, you know, that's a, that's, you know, she always left that as a dialogue. Um, she always, you know, let us fly as high as we wanted to, you know, (laughs) um, Uh, But just be there as a mentor and as a guide, because, you know, we've got a huge Kingdom Agenda philosophy and there's a philosophy. He's up here, you know, and he's thinking that way. But the practical way of how to practically execute that, that's where she was so critical.
1: Can you tell us how you saw Dr. Evans support Mrs. Evans?
2: I think I could think directly to, well, professionally, uh, he was always very, um, careful and intentional in making sure that everyone understood, you know, my wife's wishes, and again, not frivolous wishes, um, (laughs) but, you know, um, he wanted to make sure that, you know, whatever she asked for, that it's executed. Mm -hmm. And that's at the church or that's um, at the Urban Alternative. Oh, there was no mistake, you know, and, you know, there were instances where people would push or there were even instances, sometimes people would try to um, kind of uh, go around her uh, to get, you know, to approach Dr. Evans with what they wanted. You know, like say, for instance, you know, she, someone's pitching something to her, a staff member pitches something to her and she's like, no, not, not yet or not at this time. Um, And then, you know, people would just outright go around and go directly to Dr. Evans and ask the same question. Um, (laughs) And, you know, if he's not paying attention and he's saying, yes, you know, which I only know of that happening once and it was corrected quickly. (laughs) He accidentally said, you know, said yes, not knowing that, you know, she had already said no to this person. But then he quickly he turned, you know, he's like I didn't realize that this was a conversation that had happened. So no, uh we're going to go with um, you know, my wife's recommendation. She's here for the day-to-day and you know, she knows what needs to happen. Um so no, I I I uh defer to her decisions on that. So he always openly supported her on that um and and affirmed her leadership um as well. Um, personally she would talk several times she would just talk about how he really uh, supported her at home you know even with him traveling uh, and speaking um, she always told me she told me multiple times because I have a son that's um, that's dyslexic um, and so she She personally mentored me a lot just in raising my kids. And, you know, she was she was a little like another grandparent, you know, um, and just helping me um, with any challenges. So when my son was uh, um, diagnosed and we were going through different challenges, uh, she shared a story with me about Jonathan, um, their youngest and Jonathan struggled in, in school. Uh and Dr. Evans, of course, he's traveling during the week and everything. And but Jonathan needed extra attention. And Dr. Evans just told her, he's like, I, you know, I, I've got it. I'll get him. You know, because she was struggling, trying to take the extra time, up late at night. And he's like, Nope, I'll handle, you know, I'll I'll work with Jonathan. And so he literally every night worked extra time with Jonathan. He's got all these responsibilities, but he's like, no, anything for my wife, you know? Um, he Yeah, he he definitely cared for her.
1: We asked Joy about what the Urban Alternative lost with the passing of Mrs. Evans.
2: You know, there's, there's still a void, you know? I feel it a lot, a lot of days, um, you know, because of course she was my personal mentor. So, you know, I feel a bit professionally, I feel like a professional orphan, you know, at this point, you know, um, and having lost my work mom, uh, but organizationally, um, you know, the, the practical, the processes still stand, but what we don't have anymore is she was gifted with a level of discernment that was amazing but she could work with people and figure out um, and see motives. You know, she could see motives a mile away, um, (laughs) you know, uh, which is a gift. So that discernment is, I think, the biggest hole that we have right now. If you haven't heard it, I'm sure you've heard it. But, you know, Mrs. Evans was just a tremendous leader. You know, I talked a little bit about her discernment. But, you know, imagine coupling that with amazing skill in business Yeah, she was a shark you know <laughs> you know when it came to negotiating or you know she was unflinching in a boardroom um and uh you know she watched everything you know and she was not going to be overcharged for anything you know the <laughs> won't be won't overcommit for anything you know so just just the business side of of Knowing contracts and processes and managing people, I think that gifting um, is what, you know, in the Urban Alternative, we're still seeing the fruits of. The, the, the skill in which she was able to run this organization and lead it is, you know, just just a testament to the brilliance that she had. A lot of people don't know that. They're both so much fun, Um <laughs> <laughs> they like to have fun and they la- allowed us as, as uh, a team to just, just fly and try different things and and play games and, you know, office Olympics mm-hmm. and all the just random weird things. Um, She's like, do it, you know, and decorating contests in the office and just going way over the top celebrations, you know, all of those things. They just really, um, Mrs. Evans really fostered and celebrated, which I loved about her.
1: As we were wrapping up, Joy had one more good story to tell us.
2: One thing I didn't mention was the relationship between Jonathan and Mrs. Evans. So Jonathan, he probably told you, you know, he's our John John or he's our baby. During meetings, um, once Jonathan was old enough um, and he actually came on the team at the Urban Alternative. So at the table, imagine the table. Dr. Evans was always at the head. And Mrs. Evans was always to his right. And so that's how they always sat. So when Jonathan came along, Jonathan then wedged in between them. So he would sit to his mom's left. So Dr. Evans is here. But then he would always hold his, he and his mom would hold hands through the throughout the meetings. Okay. Um, <laughs> And sometimes I would catch Dr. Evans just like rolling his eyes, Um, he's rolling his eyes. So, you know, they're still having their, their little communication and they're making eyes at each other throughout the meeting. But now Jonathan's in the middle, literally holding her hand. And so that's just kind of the story of everything, you know, everybody's jealous of John, even his own dad.
1: So if you'll permit us, we'd like to conclude this episode with an observation. In 1986, Dr. Evans had been on the radio for 13 years. His church was celebrating 10, and he'd been hustling tapes for five. The tape and radio ministry fell under the Urban Alternative, and he came to NRB looking for daily broadcast opportunities to deliver his message. He preached what I still contend is one of the all-time best sermons, but notice how he ends it.
7: No, no, no. We're not going to just play nice Christian music and and give you nice Christian sermons. We're going to do that. We're going to do much more. We're going to let you know you may reject Christ. But it won't be because we didn't deliver him on a silver platter to you every day. It won't be because you didn't hear our voice. It won't be because we didn't provide you the technical excellence that can meet and match any TV or radio station in this country. But it was matched with a message unlike any other. We are... God's alternatives.
1: Today, The Alternative with Dr. Tony Evans is heard on over 2,000 stations worldwide daily. That, ladies and gentlemen, is how it's done. We'll be right back. Have you been listening to these episodes and wanted to go deeper in some of the incredible truths Dr.
5: Evans has shared? For a limited time, listeners can get free samples of some of Tony Evans' best selling and most influential works, books like his classic, Kingdom Encounters, Oneness Embraced, Kingdom Politics, and more. As you know, Tony Evans' books are incredible and sure to inspire, encourage, and empower you with your walk with Jesus. To pick up your free samples, go to moodypublishers.com today slash Tony Evans and download them today. moodypublishers.com today slash Tony Evans.
6: Connect with Jesus in a deeper way, not just by reading about him, but by actually experiencing him through the power of world-class teaching. The Tony Evans Training Center provides online learning in an understandable and refreshing way. Make the pages of your Bible come alive through courses covering a wide range of subjects. Isn't it time to begin a biblical adventure? We're here to guide you as you go. Just visit us at TonyEvansTraining.org. Explore the kingdom anytime, anywhere.
1: Next time on Start to Finish.
0: I'm enjoying class, and another person I'm getting to know, but not so much personally, but in class, is Howard Hendricks. During this time, he was cutting back on the chaplaincy with the Cowboys. So somehow he recommended my name to Tom Landry. (laughs) He invited me to do a Bible study with the team. I continued doing a Bible study with the team and wound up becoming their chaplain. When the Dallas Mavericks came, Norm Sanju, the founder of the Mavericks, talked to Tom Landry about needing a chaplain. Tom Landry recommended me. So now I'm I'm involved with the teams.
3: There would be people that would come up to me in Houston and say, hey, I just heard your dad, or my dad just went to go hear your dad um, at Promise Cubes. All these thousands and thousands and tens of thousands of men who now were becoming aware of dad's voice. And that conjoined with the the blossoming radio ministry. Um, just made his voice very familiar to people.
1: Start to Finish, The Life and Ministry of Dr. Tony Evans is a podcast powered by the North American Mission Board. You can get in touch with us at resources at NAM.net. That's resources at namb.net. If this podcast is helpful to you, and I really hope that it was, it would be helpful to us if you'd leave a five-star review on whatever platform you're listening to and share it with all your friends. Start to Finish is made possible by the cooperation of the Urban Alternative, Dr. Tony Evans, and the Evans family. Our show is written by Neil Hoppe and produced by Kevin Spratt. Editing by Jeremy Spencer. Our sound engineers are Eric Chapman and Aaron Leslie. Our music is by J. Adam Wesley. Trevin Wax is our executive producer. We've got a recommendation for you this week. If you haven't watched the NRB 86 message from Dr. Evans, I promise you it's going to bless you. We've dropped the link in the show notes. Thanks, friends. We'll see you next time.